Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney archive podcast. Welcome back to Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney archive podcast. Today's episode is on an album that was not released, and some don't even know if it was actually an album. Yeah, I don't think it's an album. Yes. So here we are at the top of season three with Return to Pepperland. Yeah, I'm sitting here, as you know, because we're in the same room, which we never are. This is very strange. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sitting here with the the actual bootleg Return to Pepperland, yeah. which I'm convinced that this bootleg is the reason people think there's an album called Return to Pepperland. Now, this bootleg is 16 tracks, right? and it's a mix of things from 84 and 87, 88. Right. And... Yeah, it's not an album and... Well, there's a reason we're spending a whole episode on this because from, like you said, about 84 to 87 or 88 and even maybe into 89, Mm -hmm. there's all these songs, all these sessions with all these producers that were started and stopped. And if you pull them together, there's an album's worth of material. Yeah. Some stuff never even saw the light of day. Some has. Yeah, some came out as B-sides, as we'll discuss, but we have tracks here that have never been released at all. And some of them are, do I even need to say, excellent. Yeah, well, like I said before, a whole podcast episode, but maybe we just kick it off right here with a little bit of Return to Pepperland. So Return to Pepperland is a song, and it became the title track of this bootleg. So people refer to it as the Pepperland material, and there's other reasons it's called Pepperland material, right? So this was about 20 years after Sgt. Pepper had been released, and George Harrison had released an album, Cloud Nine, that has many allusions to the Beatles. Do you think George... His album is the reason Paul was thinking this way, or do you just think it was in the cultural zeitgeist? It seems as if George's re-embrace of the Beatles and his general willingness to go back to that sound got my mind set on you, as we'll discuss something he, George Harrison had wanted to do with the Beatles. I think um, the combination of George going back to that material or that sound or those ideas and also a little competition because Cloud9 did real well. Let's dive into this George Harrison album, which I know you're fond of. Fond of? Yes. But the production? Well, I think we're going to dive into (laughs) Jeff Lynne at a later time. Right. But this is Enter Jeff Lynne. Joy, my dream, tell me yes, bail out should there be a mess. The pieces you don't need are mine. 
Take my time I'll show you cloud night Take my smile and my heart They be yours from the start Pieces to a mate of mine I think Jeff Lynne's production style is actually a bit polarizing, is it not? I'm not the only one who has some issues. No, I mean, well, it's the... There's a sameness to it. It's not that it's a bad style. No. It's that it's his style, and that's it. It's the electric light orchestra, son of the Beatles, as John Lennon said, style, where it's, everything's compressed. It's famously compressed snare, gated snare. And like I said, you could have tracks that sound like that, and I'd be down with it. The problem is that Jeff Lynn just sounds like Jeff Lynn all the time. We, we've talked earlier about great producers being the ones who bring out your style, not impose a sound on you. So well, what you're saying, that was McCartney's fear when Lynn was brought in to record the new Beatles songs for the anthology sessions. He was like, well, is this going to sound like a Jeff George record? Sure does. And it does. <laughs> Some of that stuff does. Yeah. So... Cloud Nine, I think, is a pretty strong album. Yeah. It doesn't have that magic that late 70s no, 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 George no. Harrison has. What was his first album in five years? In five years, which by Beatles standards, that's a good gap. That's the gap that John Lennon had between 75 and 80. Which you think of now. It's like an eternity in Beatles In the Beatles, when they were recording two albums a year, yeah. or an album every six months. Five, five years. Five years. Like, you use yeah. what, racing cars or something? in the cars. He had like that big perm. <laughs> he was in the movies. He started his whole right. movie thing. The yeah. whole Python. And as a matter of fact, Cloud Nine has some movie-related tracks. Oh, really? That's right. Well, there's a, the single, Shanghai Surprise, mm. which is from the movie Shanghai Surprise, and then the song, Breath Away from Heaven, right. which is a bit of embarrassing Orientalism, I would say, but then it's hard to accuse George Harrison of Orientalism. He's the sitar guy from 66. But I have mixed feelings about the pentatonic quality of this and the, yeah. Well, yeah, not every song in this album is a banger. It, I mean, Got My Mind Set On You is a fantastic song. That's the Rudy Clark cover that I believe he pitched the Beatles to play. Right. He pitched the Beatles to play that. And it's James Ray who did the famous original version. Oh, not Rudy. Okay. James Ray, yeah. Who didn't really have any other. He had one other minor hit. But this song was a pretty big hit at the time. I love this song. This song will come on in malls or restaurants or even (laughs) at a party or two. It was that kind of hit, yeah. It was a big hit. Huge hit. Yeah. And this time I know it's real.
This was the early days of VH1, and this video, as well as When We Was Fab, were huge. Yeah, there, and, and you know that there was a, a, a two different versions of the video. There's one where there's like a boy and girl on like a pier or like in an arcade or a bunch of nonsense, but then there's the video I think that you're talking about where like the talking moose head and George in the rocking chair. That was the, the one that was on VH1. And the backflips yeah. and all uh-huh. that. Mm-hmm. What a video. This was the last big Beatles hit, right? Yeah. There's one other song on this album I'm really fond of, and that's track two, That's What It Takes. Love that song. And now it begins to shine And you find the eyes to see Maybe it's a bit soft for the more rock and rolly fans, but I think it's a great bit of adult contemporary for the time. It's got a cool little chord change for the the transition to the chorus. I think that's Gary Wright, because that's a Gary Wright, Harrison Lynn co-write. Gary ah. Wright, the guy that wrote Dreamweaver. Yeah. Right? Yeah, Gary mm-hmm. Wright. Maybe. Maybe the slick chord or the slick key change is <laughs> Gary Wright. Or not even a slick key change. Maybe it was a fragment of a song they right. McCartney style shoved in there and hey, got a take nice this modulation. One, George. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, this is a fine album. It doesn't rank that high for me among George's albums. Oh, really? It's kind of in the middle. Yeah, it's kind of in the middle. This isn't All Things Must Pass, or this mm. isn't even George Harrison's 79 level. I was going to say, we're 79. For yeah, but it's no Dark Horse here. I mean, this is a... It's yeah, not, this not is probably bomb. number three for me. Oh, yeah, that's pretty high. This is in the middle. Fish in the Sand's a great song. Yes, that is a great song. Cloud Nine's a good song. Devil's Radio, this is a good album. Review-wise, all music, this is a f- rare five-star album on all music. Oh, well. Robert Christigal gives it a B-, minus, which is for him, like, <laughs> getting 110% on a record. Yeah. Like, everybody loved this album. So by the transitive property, this album did so well, Paul being the competitive guy he is, that's where I think Return to Pepperland comes from. Right. You know? And what a weird (laughs) track list of songs we have from this. Which producer do you want to start with? Let's hit David Foster first. David Foster. The old David Foster sessions. 
So for those of you who don't know who David Foster is, this guy was a session musician turned record producer, and now he's like this big music impresario out in California doing TV music and um, all kinds of things. He produced a couple of Hall & Oates records. A couple of really interesting Hall & Oates records. Uh, Along the Red Ledge and Ecstatic. Along the Red Ledge and Ecstatic. And Ecstatic was supposedly Hall & Oates' 1979 disco-inflected album. (laughs) But actually, it's just weird. It's a kind of mix of rhythmic disco-y stuff with Hall & Oates doing their art rock thing a little bit. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's a way underrated album. It gets dismissed Hmm. by everyone. Along the Red Ledge is a pretty well-regarded album. It has It's a Laugh. That was the big thing. Oh, yeah, I like that song. Mm-hmm. That's, That's David Foster. Huh. Yeah. He really defined the sound of the 80s, the especially the adult contemporary sound big of the 80s. Time. I would argue the worst side of adult contemporary is what he <laughs> kind of promoted. Because I, I can be down with some adult <laughs> contempo, but not, not You're the Inspiration by Chicago. Right, right. Chicago, interestingly enough, had just been working with Phil Ramone when they moved on huh. to... David Foster, and he's responsible for Chicago 16, 17, and 18. Okay. And Chicago 17 with You're the Inspiration and Hard Habit to Break. Yeah. You're the inspiration. This goddamn album permeated <laughs> 1984. Like, it was, you couldn't get it away from everywhere. those songs. Yeah. Ubiquitous. Yeah. And if you know Chicago, you know that these albums don't sound like Chicago. No, no, yeah. no, not at all. Anyway, some other ones I wanted to mention. He was defining the Kenny Rogers sound mm. in the mid 80s. So Kenny Rogers, What About Me, which was had the song Crazy on it. And Once Upon a Christmas was his Dolly Parton Christmas album that was a huge hit, Kenny and Dolly. And David Foster produced the track We Got Tonight with Sheena Easton. Stuff, but these are all huge hits that really were in the air. A couple more quick things. St. Elmo's Fire theme, of course. I like that. Okay, moving on. <laughs> more recently, Michael Buble, Josh Groban, and right. he also did some Kenny G. So this is like, yeah, the adult contemporary cheese of every era, apparently. Yeah. 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 Okay. Except, yeah, I like the Hall & Oates albums. I li- yeah, the Hall & Oates records are oh, pretty cool. I forgot to mention Night Ranger. I don't even know what that is. Okay. Well, those who know, (laughs) they know why I brought it up. Night Ranger, folks. Motorhead! Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. (laughs) Who doesn't know that? Wow, Foster's that, too. Mm -hmm. Maybe not that song, but he was working with them in the mid-80s. Right. So, what songs did Foster do for Paul? I know, like, so this is where it gets wacky. Yes. Because some of this stuff is on Flowers in the Dirt. Maybe something ends up out on Off the Ground. 
Some stuff's not out. Are there press songs from this period too? And even Broad Street's in 84. Yeah. So this is why we're doing this episode, because we're just trying to clean up this period. We've covered this period, but as always with Paul, dig a little deeper. You will find some weekend in 1984 <laughs> where he recorded 10 songs. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he had a long weekend. David Foster did I Love This House, Lindiana, and the original We Got Married. Okay. Got it. Or I should say the basic track of We Got Married. And let's just start with Lindiana. So this is an unreleased song. I don't think this has been put out on any single. Recorded between September and December of 1984. And how do you feel about this one? It's a children's song, (laughs) right? I think so. I always thought the nursery rhyme quality of the what you got, all depends on what you got. Right. And the it's important to us sort of sounds like parents. I, I, I take it as like, a person taking a customer service complaint on the phone, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just, just how much to, you got, how, how long is it going to take? What do you, it, it all depends, depends on what you got. You know? <laughs> right. It's a bizarre tune. Yeah. I think the melody's lovely. I, I don't like the lyrics, but I think the tune is really good. Yeah. And I actually don't hate the production. And then there's that amazing bass synthesizer, and there's it's just a lot of synth riffs, if yeah. I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. If I can be of help in matters such as these, don't hesitate to call. I'd only be too pleased to take a look. Mm-hmm. Fine lyric, but the melody and the chord structure oh, there, the way, it, nice. the way it flows. Yeah, so, the way it's pleased becomes an extension of the phrase, to take a look. Yeah, Holding the gun, holding the 
So then you want to move on to I Love This House? I Love This House. Now there's an interesting record. Yeah. Quite aggressive. Very aggressive. This was recorded September 25th to October 2nd, 84, and then brought back out in March of 85 at Hog Hill. And guess now is the time to talk about Hog Hill. Paul McCartney's Windmill Recording Studio. There's a rehearsal barn. He has all of his gear brought out there, the Strawberry Fields Forever, Mellotron, all of his keyboards and amps. So this tune was released, but not until 1997 on the Young Boy CD single during the Flaming Pie era, and also on Ubu Jubu number four, which is called The World Tonight, as well as Ubu Jubu number one, which is the Young Boy episode. So yeah, this is another David Foster track, and I think this is the sequel to fixing a hole. Hey, how about that? Yeah. I haven't considered that possibility. Musically, yeah. it's very different, but the lyrics completely different. Yeah. But if he's in this pepper, let's just pretend yeah. that he actually was going to do this. Okay. Thinking in '84, oh, the this could have been <laughs> fixing the hole part two. Okay, fixing a hole part two. It revisits the that idea, the house theme, a little bit. But now the house has gone to complete disarray. Hot in the summer, rattling windows, teeth and knees. <laughs> Perfect place for cat and mouse, but never mind, I love this house. Mm. He's just complaining about how this house is a piece of garbage, but he loves it. He's still mm. fixing a, a hole. <laughs> Sounds like something you might say about an old instrument that you love. Right. This thing's falling apart, it's out right. of tune, but I gotta play it. And maybe that came about when he was moving into Hog Hill. He's mm. like, oh, the old Hoffner, oh, the old... Whatever the hell thing, mm. guitar. Um, David Gilmore, speaking of guitar, on those leads. Oh. And yeah, the guitar work on this is really cool. Really aggressive, distortion, you know. It sounds guitar. like the No More Lonely Nights guitar. Yeah. Who knows if this was even in consideration for that stuff, too. So you said this was released as a B-side during Flaming Pie. Yes. Yeah. So almost 15 years later, though. Flaming Pie CD singles became one of the main repositories for all this material we're talking about. A lot about. of this, not all of it, no. comes out yeah. in the 90s or even late 80s when we get buried, to... Buried on a CD single. Did anybody buy CD singles back in the day? They must have, but... I have the Fine Line CD single. Do you? Yeah. It's a lot of material. I think all this happened because of that new studio. I yeah. think he had a studio on, a, on his property, mm -hmm. and he can just show up. And apparently, big windows you could open and look out and just see the countryside and probably just spend all of his time there. Yeah. What do you think was the rationale for David Foster in particular? Was he just the hit maker of the time and Paul wanted to? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, especially if, I mean, he came off of, Tug of War and Pipes of Peace. Yeah. Those were hit records. They, they had were. hit singles on them. And he hadn't really had the Broad Street disaster at this time. Not quite yet, no. Mm -hmm. So he's, you know, who's the next guy in the scene? I think the disaster of Give My Regards to Broad Street probably was another factor that aborted this project mm. way early on. 
you think everything just be, all his material from the time became a little sour for him because of it? If you look at this track list, I'm just scanning it down. There's only two songs that ended up on albums, but ten year over ten years later. Yeah, and not yeah. even the main songs from those albums. And I'm and that's mm. this one and we got married, which is our next track here under David Foster. Actually, beautiful night too. But we got married. You were saying we got married. So. As far as I can tell, this is the actual basic track that we, and based on the producer credits too, mm-hmm. this is the basic track that yep. we got on Flowers. That is it, right there. There's no, he doesn't sing the bridge though on this version. And it doesn't have all those instrumental no. sections None of the flourishes. And right. I, who knows, it sounds like the vocal was replaced. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. The song's there, and the basic track is there. you like this song? No. <laughs> not a favorite. <laughs> so that's not going to change between now and the next episode then, is it? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> okay. Seeing as I won't be doing any more review, but yeah, this is not, this is a, a, one of my least favorites on Flowers. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into why, I guess, when we dig right. into Flowers. So those are the David Foster tracks. Mm-hmm. And I guess we're just reasoning that he was beginning to make his way through the big since he goes from Foster to Ramon, so he's going through the the people who would be friendly to his love songs and right. his desire for some new hits. Speaking of hits, so 84, these David Foster sessions happen. 85, this is the year that Michael Jackson outbids Paul McCartney for full control of ATV music. Paul's studio opens around this time, which is officially called the Hog Hill Mill, which was originally built the facility in 1781 and then the building was moved to Icklesham in 1790 and up until 1920 this thing was still a working windmill yeah (laughs) crazy sweet really sweet (laughs) so this is where press to play begins and in 1986 press to play happens Paul spends four hours of time in New York City with Bill Ramone where these next tracks come in. The musicians of the session include Liberty DeVito on drums, David Brown on guitar, David LeBolt on keyboards, and Neil Jason on bass. Now, do you recognize any of those names? should recognize some of those names that's billy joel's band that's the billy joel band and phil ramone is billy joel's Joel's producer producer. bill ramone at this time has effectively ended i don't know if it was clear that they had ended their relationship 
but Billy Joel's last album with Bill Ramone was An Innocent Man in 83. Yeah, and this era, from what I've read, for Phil Ramone is not that great. Mm. There's a lot of albums that he did in this time that just didn't really work out. This is when he was turning in a lot of not successful albums. But Paul found four hours of time with him in New York, and they kicked off two songs, Beautiful Night and Loveliest Thing. Now, Beautiful Night, that's a song, if you guys are keeping score, (laughs) that ends up on Flaming Pie a decade or, so, or more later. In a different version arranged Completely by different versions so with In a different version arranged and produced by George Martin. Right. Right. And so this one was worked on August 86 and then finished in June 87. Let's play the Phil Ramone version. Some boats gone out fishing Some boats high and dry some boats on mission to the lonely Lorelei. Some folks got a vision of a castle in the sky. And I'm left stranded wondering why. Well, I don't. That's cool, but I think one of the best things that came from these sessions that didn't see the light of day for quite some time. So this song was released in 1989 on the Figure of Eight CD single, a song called Loveliest Thing, recorded August 21st, 1986, and then June and July, 88, so almost two years later. To me, you are the loveliest thing I've seen all day. Oh, you know you gotta stay 
I first heard this as a Flowers in the Dirt Parlophone 93 extra uh-huh. track. Yes. And I want to say something about this period just as a quick aside. Sure. I actually have affection for this material we're talking about, hmm. and there's a reason for that. What's that? I, I sort of stopped paying attention to Paul between about 1990 and 1996. Mm-hmm. This was college and early grad school. I was just busy. I wasn't paying attention to Paul McCartney. And I was learning about classical music. Right. So I came back to Paul around 96 or 97 because of several factors. One was Napster, LimeWire, BearShare. Suddenly... Yeah, I found some of those via those sources too. I started downloading stuff. And anytime I saw a song by Paul McCartney I'd never heard of, I grabbed it. And I started piecing Mm. together all... A lot of what this podcast is... I started piecing together in the late 90s because up till then I knew from my childhood there were all these singles and B-sides and stuff I hadn't heard. I had no idea how much stuff I hadn't heard. It was freaking me out in the late 90s. a lot of stuff. So there was Napster and there was Amoeba Records came into my life. And the other important thing was the Parlophone 1993 reissues. So anyway... Because Return to the Pepperland material was a big part of what I was discovering, that Paul had like whole albums worth of material. Yeah. This is, I'm affectionate toward this, even though as we're going to see, it's all a bit of a mess. I'm hearing, I mean, it's 1998 and I'm hearing Lindiana and I'm hearing Return to Pepperland and I'm right. hearing Loveliest Thing and These I'm going, great songs. wow. Yeah. yeah. Especially if what? He's going to release Run Devil Run a year later or something like that. And yeah, I'm getting of, all into Paul again. And the yeah. first thing I get is Run Devil Run, <laughs> which <laughs> I'll make a case for is great, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. So, yeah, Loveliest. It is great, but I was ready for a new album. So, Loveliest Thing is a combination of two demos a song, Loveliest Thing, and another song, Without Permission. And it fairly clearly in the song is two songs. No, I think it's clean i think it's smooth okay when he goes into without permission it sounds like a very natural progression to me and the billy joel band sounds great on this song yes and that is paul neil jason on bass david brown on guitar liberty on drums and david labolt on synthesizer so dave o'donnell who was you know at these sessions there's a quote paul sent a tape ahead of time or a lead sheet because he was delayed to the session and the musicians had time to learn the song before he got there. When he arrived, they played the first song. They did one take, which was great. And Paul said something like, well, I guess we might as well do another take. He played the piano live and sang with the band. The second day, he just overdubbed some vocals. Mm -hmm. So in the traditional McCartney, let's do it quick, in and out. Yeah. Pretty cool. Cool song. Glad we have it. Average lyrics, though. Yes, average lyrics. But not offensive, not to me. So that's going to bring us to Squid? Yes. And so from what I understand about Squid, this one in 86, December of 86, in the holiday season, the 12th of December, in fact, Paul was just kicking around his new studio and he recorded this instrumental. And it was released on the World Tonight Ubu Jubu 14 CD single. <laughs> this is an, it's an acoustic guitar thing kind of like what's that song Sweetest Little Show that mm. little bit in the middle yeah this is Paul doing something like that he plays every instrument and there's a version of this that was aired on Ubu Jubu where he overdubs just the lyrics 
be a vegetarian. All right. Every once and again. So it's very ubu jubu. Let's just play a little bit of this. This leads us to a tune called Big Day. Oh boy. Which is really where this album, if it is an album, goes south. I don't think I've ever quick made it all the way through Big Day. Well, I have. It is <laughs> nothing at the end that you can't find at the beginning. Yeah, I skipped ahead. This is a demo that was recorded in 86 and 87, completely unreleased. There's sections for a verse to be sung. And if you really crank the volume up, you can hear him singing or speaking a verse that is just not hot in the mix. Yeah. So, but then there's this big, dumb chorus of my big day over and over. The next track we have is another one everybody is familiar with. Comes out later, but this is a completely different version, a studio demo recorded in February 1987 of this one. Quite rough. Yes. Clearly not intended for actual album inclusion. And he starts with the bridge. The bridge is the verse. That's right. There's no verse as we know it. So right. it's still a working demo. Time. 
and that leads us to a track called Love Come Tumbling Down, which was released in November 97 on the beautiful Night single on the Flaming Pie album. This one was recorded March 10th, 87 at Hog Hill. I can't believe it Something happened not so long ago I know it isn't something I dreamed about It's real, so real When she looks into his eyes How do you feel about this tune? Boy, this is one of those tunes I fell in love with oh, okay. in the late 90s. Just such a great melody, such a fun right. vocal with the double octave second verse thing that we talked about before, doing the first verse down an octave, second verse up an octave. So it's such a great tune. It's, it's a goofy song. Yeah, for Get sure. Get down to the bottom of this hole. Affair. <laughs> I, I buy it. He goes down to a nice low note on hole. I like the tune too much. And it's I cool. actually kind of dig the production. It's it's unmistakably 80s with the harsh kind of marimba-like synthesizers and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it's pretty tasteful all in all. You've got great bass guitar work. There's that two intertwining choruses. It's just a good... It's just good, like, McCartney lyric and me- melodic skill. Yeah. Tim Renwick is on guitar, Nick Glennie Smith on keyboard, and Charlie Morgan on drums. And even Phil Ramone himself, he has a quote, he said, What Paul had was a mostly unfinished song or snippets of songs that he was working on. This song was one of those songs that he played for me, and I heard it and I said, Boy, sure sounds like one you want to develop. Yeah. So even Phil liked this tune. Some background on Phil Ramone. He worked with... Uh, probably most famously, aside from Billy Joel, he actually produced some of the classic Paul Simon albums in the 70s. I didn't know that. We're talking There Goes Ryman Simon, No, sh- Still Crazy After All These Years, and One Trick Pony. Well, I, I happen to be into those albums in a big way. And so I associate Phil Ramone with those two, with Billy Joel and Paul Simon. But Phil Ramone was in the business forever as an engineer. He was Burt Bacharach's engineer. No kidding. Yeah, he won so many awards as an engineer and producer 65 best engineered recording non-classical gets for... gilberto that's that actually is a, a good major record. album from the 60s that's a cool record se você disser que eu desafino amor saiba que isto em mim provoca imensa dor Só privilegiados têm ouvido igual ao seu Eu possuo apenas o que Deus me deu 
Se você insiste em classificar Meu comportamento diante musical Eu mesmo mentindo devo argumentar Big pop culture phenomenon was the introduction of Bossa Nova into the United States in the 60s. And the Getz Gilberto album is where that started. Yeah, look at that. 1970. These are all Grammy Awards, folks. Best musical show album for Promises, producing Promises. 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 That's Burt Bacharach musical. That is, that's got some great stuff on there, too. I Say a Little Prayer and I'll Never Fall in Love Again. A House is Not a Home. Great. Great songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah, album of the year. If we're still crazy after all these years, that's one of my favorite Paul Simon songs. And that album has a song on it, "My Little Town." Oh yeah, nothing but the dead and dying back in my little town. Mm-hmm. Whoa. In my little town, I grew up believing. So that's 76 and 79, Just the Way You Are on Billy Joel's, that must have been, that's The Stranger, right? Yeah. Then 52nd Street in 80. Oh, that feels late for 52nd Street. Well, that the awards right. come out after the album. Yeah, you're right. Producer of the Year, non-classical in 81. 84, Flashdance. 895. He was famous partly for producing cast albums and engineering cast albums. And in 1995, he did Stephen Sondheim's Passion which was a very well-regarded show at the time. Mm. I don't think Sondheim fans generally love passion. but it's a, <laughs> It is a very beautifully produced cast album, I gotta tell you. That's great. So yeah, this is significant work. This is a guy who's been in the business and worked with major players. Well, and then the engineer stuff you have listed here too. Dusty Springfield in 67. Do you know the way to San Jose? Love, yeah, yes is the answer. <laughs> Everybody's talking by Nilsson. Oh, yeah. The band's the band in '69. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is like blood on the tracks. The, <laughs> heard of that before? He engineered blood on the freaking tracks. Mm. And going back to his producer credits, I wanted to mention the Beatles connection here that he produced both of Julian Lennon's '80s albums. The Lot and Secret Value of hmm. Daydreaming. I also see here that he was the engineer on Ram. An he was, engineer. He, I assume that's how Paul knew him? Ma, well, he knew him. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. He definitely knew him from all this success. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe he remembered. I'm pretty sure they did know each other from Ram. But uh, one more important mention here from Phil Ramone is the Karen Carpenter album, solo album from 79. Oh, yeah, that's cool. It Yeah, it's famously disliked by Carpenter's fans because he has her singing high 
and not using her lower register. Oh, why? And because the songs people say are bad, but I don't. I think it's a pretty cool album. Yeah, that is a cool album. Eleven seventeen seventy. Have you heard that? I don't know it. I think that's a show at the Troubadour. It may not be, but it's Elton John, a bassist and a drummer live in seventy. Yeah, and it's awesome. There's a recording of a song "Burn Down the Mission" that's like huh. heads and tails above the album version, wow. and he's responsible for that sound. So no, no wonder it wasn't Billy Joel famous for its live takes in the studio. Oh God, yeah. Yeah, folks, you've heard Just the Way You Are, right? Maybe a lot of you hate it. Listen to it again and understand that that's live in the studio. It's that crazy. is the actual band playing and singing that live. That is crazy. Yeah. So, of course, McCartney would want this guy, hey, let's record, let's work on something, let's get a hit. And so. Phil Ramone wanted to do Billy Joel band type stuff with Paul McCartney. He was a perform in the studio, get the great sound, get the great performance. He was not into drum machines, synthesizers, early computer music, early computer pop music, which is what Paul was moving towards. And that's the big problem with the Phil sessions. That's how it fell apart. Everybody was saying when it was the band, Phil and Paul got along, but Paul wanted to do these drum machine songs. (laughs) and a guy like Phil Ramone, who's used to recording live records and live in-studio albums, probably is like, what the hell is this? This is no fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's how you get something like Peacocks or <laughs> Big Day. Uh, maybe Paul wanted to do McCartney 2 on a grand scale, and he was trying to get that to happen. But Phil Ramone's not who you go to for that. That kind of leads us to, well, we're skipping over Christian pop or bop or whatever it is, is it right? Is pop or bop? I see it both ways on we the We see it both ways. I think on the archive it's bop. listener wrote in and said we did not mention that that song was released as a classical version.
Atlantic Ocean, a drum machine fill tune, March 20th, 1987. Now, you're really into this one. <laughs> I didn't know that you'd become a stand-up comedian since the last time we recorded. Uh, I cannot stand this song at all. crazy about it well i mean i don't even want to read these lyrics out you can look them oh, up it's online. just the first verse that you're offended by right yeah but then there's a well it's 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 about the african slave trade just, and it's just the first verse and it's but it's a rap it's a rap it didn't start out as a rap he sang it initially have you heard the version with the singing yes yeah, yeah but it does turn into a rap and he is doing a bit of a jamaican accent is it just me or like a yes. caribbean accent? yeah it's this is distasteful and confusing yeah. but he released the thing. The thing was released yeah, on the Young Boy CD single and on In Ubu Jubu. Yeah. Phil Ramon says it was one of those things where we were messing around with percussion loops and started with just straight backbeat from an old drum machine. And then Paul started playing shakers and he didn't play the bass part until the end. And it's got a cool bridge. I like the bridge. Mm-hmm. And there's this cool sax solo or a keyboard sax solo. Yeah, like you said, it's mid 80s. McCartney too. At least look, at least the lyrics, despite the first verse, are consistent. He's making some kind of a point about coming to America. Off the bus from Penny Lane, young musicians took a plane, got invited back again. Ah. Uh, uh, uh. Feel the rhythm of the Atlantic Ocean. There you go. I get it. It's cool. But Paul's in his 40s now. Yeah, sure. And he's trying to stay contemporary by doing... Look, it's not like... Playing. When did rap? This is a big question. Run DMC was walk this way. Is that when rap kind of came onto the mainstream scene? I mean, I know it existed before. Yeah, you have also like Grandmaster Flash and but was some that of those considered guys. mainstream at the time. Wasn't that a little? It's cool. It's fine. It was released, and Jethro Tull's guitarist Martin Barr is on this record. Phil Pickett is on keyboards. Louis Jardim on percussion, Stuart Elliott on drums, Martin Barr on electric guitar. It's like there are layers on this song to feel the rhythm of the Atlantic Ocean. Yes. You know what? I'll give Paul McCartney points for being adventurous. Yeah. You don't really hear stuff like this from him. So good good for you, Paul. Good work. Gold star. The next track we have is an oldie. What a great song. Love Mix. We have a version of this from 1974. It was when it was called Waiting for the Sun to Shine. Shine in the 
This one recorded April 24th, 87, and then finished September to November in 88, first at Hog Hill and then back at Olympic. Released on the Ubu Jubu Beautiful Night CD single. So he clearly thinks this is not finished. Yeah, very much. You know, what is he said? He, he plays a little bit. Of, we're yeah. going to play a little bit, but it's not quite done. Some, I remember him saying, sometimes songs just don't work out. And this mm-hmm. is one of them. I think the music to this song is amazing, though. The, the lyric is okay. This is another one from the late 90s that I sort of fell for. Not from the late 90s, that I discovered in the late 90s that I fell for. Uh, but it's not great. It's one of those that I, I like Lindiana, I like it in spite of myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really liking it and thinking I should know better. It's, this is one that clearly is a kind of a cut and paste job between yeah. two separate songs. Sure. And the demo that we have from 74 really only includes the Waiting for the Sun to Shine section. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's like a Penny Lane style descending bass line, as Denny Lane talked to us about the go now right. effect right. that Paul has taken. That's been used so much that I recently wrote a song making fun of it. Oh. There's a descending bass line that keeps connecting <laughs> at the whole step. And all the way down, all the down, way down, goes down, through down, every down. key by the end. <laughs> <laughs> Occasionally, you work on tracks that don't reach the final album, and you find that you've put a lot of hard work in, and the track's not bad, but for one reason or other, it didn't make the final listing. This is one of those tracks. This is a thing called Love Mix that's not really finished yet, so we'll just play you a small section from it. So, from the recording sessions, Lion, this guy who was in the studio at the time, this has a quote. Paul was jamming around on this song while I was working on the desk. And he said to me, what's your favorite Beatles song? And I said, Fool on the Hill. And he played it for me. So this kind of marks the era. Well, I know we saw some of this in 76. Paul is starting to embrace the Beatles again. Yeah. He really is thinking about it. Right. And I know Elvis Costello gets a lot of credit for bringing the Beatles sound back. I've always wondered why it was such a big deal in 89 when he did those Beatles songs on the tour. 
because in 76, he was doing Beatles songs on the yeah. Wings Over America tour. And he didn't make a big deal about that. So Lady I wrote yesterday. Ma- I'm going to play it. Yesterday, a Lady long Madonna. and winding road. Mm-hmm. I mean, he redid the long and winding road for Broad Street. Yeah. And like, he, and he redid a bunch of Beatles songs. He, three years earlier, he was doing a whole album of Beatles songs almost. So why is it a big deal a few years after that, that he's embracing the Beatles? Well, there's a, how well, did he, and by the way, Elvis Costello even makes an argument in the archive thing. Paul had been resisting his Beatles self. We've been arguing over and over. This song sounds a lot like, oh, darling, yeah. this one sounds a lot like yeah. Martha, my dear. There's always a, a template from the Beatles. Right. Not always. We Not talked always, about no. him adding new tricks in his solo career, mm-hmm. but I just don't see this as a big deal. This narrative, I reject this narrative. <laughs> well, there you go. That's a take it away exclusive. Narrative rejected. <laughs> in fact, a lot of this episode for me is about rejecting some narratives. But <laughs> I, I don't completely reject it. I know that he was trying to make his own way. But the idea that he was steering so clear of the Beatles and suddenly re-embraced them is just not borne out by the actual material. Well, yeah, it reminds me of George Harrison. He has said, and I'm paraphrasing from some interview I read long ago. He's like, every time Paul puts out an album... It seems like he says the Beatles are about to get reunited, even since John's been dead, you know? My cousin Lil comes home at eight, that's late for her. Her husband then just doesn't show till she's in bed. That's when he dons his latest listening device and hears the right nice music in his head. Return. The next track we want to talk about is the song we heard right at the top of this episode, Return to Pepperland. Yeah. So this one was recorded in June 1987, and it has never officially been released. I know a lot of these songs have been on singles or on Ubu Jubu. Paul has stayed very far away from this song. So I, I like the... I like the lyrics. You know, he says, that's when he dons his latest listening device and hears the right nice music in his head. That's him thinking ahead. I love that line, right nice. Yeah. He also has the line, return to Pepperland, it's not a mile away. I read straight through that as being, well, the 20th of Pepper is coming up. George is doing all of this stuff. But I'm the guy that made Sergeant Pepper. I wrote Getting Better. Mm-hmm. I wrote Sergeant Pepper theme song. King, here comes the big number one. But wise a beer, the king is second to none. Just say, but wiser, you've said it all. Here comes the king of beer, so lift your glass, let's hear the when call. You say, but, but wise a beer's the one that's leading the rest. When you say, but, and beach foot aging makes it beer at its best. When you say, but, one taste will tell you. Only one but wiser fear when you say but you said it all. My cousin Min 
So that is the original Budweiser Clydesdale commercial. That's crazy. I can't even comprehend that. It's the first time I've ever heard that. Good find, Mercer I'm looking man. for the year on that, but I'm thinking that's late 70s. Yeah, I'm, but if it's a Budweiser commercial and Paul is Paul McCartney, even in the 80s, he's all over the world, multiple Dude, everybody homes. knew the, the Budweiser Clydesdale commercial at that time. I swear yeah. they did. And when I first heard this song, I loved it. And I thought, hey, it's the Anheuser. <laughs> it's the Anheuser-Busch thing. <laughs> What do you think of Paul's vocal on this song? Very good vocal. Love the singing on this. What do you think about the wah, 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 wah with whistling? I love that part. It's kind of amazing, but it does sound like you ran out of lyrics ideas. Because he stops in the middle. He stops in the middle of the words and then just starts doing that. But it's a wacky sound he gets. It's really, it's the, it's the daytime, nighttime suffering. And then we also see it again on that song New in 2013 where It's just cool vocal arrangement, weird. Quick thing on this song before we go on. What is this about? Any idea? It's that Lennon thing where it's made up characters doing nothing. Yeah. And I don't see what they have to do with... Pepperland seems to be a nice place he's describing, but they're all kind of miserable characters, it seems like. Sad people, anti-whatever, and... We're screwed up on this episode for a reason, as you can tell. There's a lot of information. Forget we brought up who it was, but I'm just wondering what your take on the lyrics were. Yeah, they they they're a little hard to pin down. My cousin Lil comes home at eight. That's late for her. Her husband Dan just doesn't show till she's in bed. That's when he dons his latest listening device and hears the right nice music in his head. Okay, so he's tuning her out. Yeah, he's not happy about it. This doesn't sound like a good relationship. <laughs> and but, it's but his Pepper cousin. Not a mile away, so. Yeah. I bet he's saying these people could all escape if they would. Come back to love and peace, return today. He's talking about the children now. The children, Bill and Kate, live near a year apart. That's all you know for them. While as for Gran, she stays downstairs. They're very kind. So she sounds like maybe she's miserable if they're kind. Sort of sounds. <laughs> this is a dark song. Well, she's, she's at least being taken care of by yeah. them. So she's an Eleanor Rigby. She thinks of ancient mysteries running through her life and gets them all mixed up inside her mind. So she's suffering from... Bit of a Veronica situation. Yeah, so this is some of that seeping in from Elvis. And then there's really no more information. People demanding love understanding. Why don't we do something now? Uh, Nelson Mandela, though, freed. Yeah. (laughs) So that makes this whole (laughs) song irrelevant. My cousin Min is never in. Another cousin. The big men say, (laughs) I wonder if he added the weird vocal part as a placeholder until he thought of the rest of the lyrics. Yeah, never finished it. Because it just cuts off. That's a strange place to end your song. Who are the big men? Is it the police? Is it the... Maybe it's a dummy lyric. Maybe it's a dummy lyric followed by just melody so he could replace it yeah he got like 85 percent on this tune and then just was like nah it's the anheuser-busch commercial i'm done with it <laughs> well we both like this oh uh, yeah i would say i love it it's really cool i'm glad we have it so now p.s love me do so these are the songs that paul still owns he owns the rights to these which is it's got to be the reason why they decided phil ramone and him to combine them together in june of 87 this one was released on the double CD Japanese version of the Flowers in the Dirt album. And I think this is awful and I barely want to talk about it. How do you, what, what do you think? Similar. As I write this letter, 
Good B-side. Yeah. It's a fun B-side. The best version of combining two Beatles songs, it just in my humble opinion, is track seven on the Love album, the Drive My Car, the Word, What You're Doing combo, all edited together under two minutes. Mm. Like, that's some good stuff. This is just, you know, What's 80s it? drums and dancing is, around and I mean, a cherry picker. This isn't re-embracing the Beatles either. This is almost mocking... I mean, what do you think of... Have you ever heard that ubu-jubu, hey Jude? Yes. Don't be a prat. Yeah. Let's play a little bit of that next yeah. to P.S. I Love You. I think it's apropos. Break the promise. Not to be confused with Don't Break the Promises, which is the 10C version, right? So this is Paul's demo that I know you are particularly fond of. I do like it. I'm not usually a fake reggae guy, but that's (laughs) not why I like it. I think it's a beautiful tune. It is, yeah. Yeah. It is a good song. It's another one of those, like, well, he gave this to 10CC. He gave a Vaughn to 10CC. He's just tossing them off. Here you go. Go take them. And then they ruin them. Yeah. So Paul plays bass on that version, so and that's 92 on their album. Meanwhile, it's not like he was unaware of what happened. He played bass on the song. He heard the track. This was recorded June 9th, 88 at Hog Hill, and I think it has some remarkable lyrics for Paul McCartney. Today. Take my heart 
Eric's version on 10CC is very different, as you just heard, and has a much more complete set of lyrics. I just love that. I mean, don't break the promise that you made today. Mm-hmm. Take my life, but don't throw it all away. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really do this. And the gorgeous tune. Oh, and by the way, a lovely falsetto vocal on this tune. So yeah, so moving on from Don't Break the Promise, we have uh, just a couple more things to wrap up. I mean, we do have a version of Sergeant Pepper that he recorded as kind of a goof for um, Alan Freeman, who is a radio DJ in England. We can just play a little bit of that. Just as more evidence that Sergeant Pepper is on his mind. Then we have a, a great song. It's actually a single that was released together once upon a long ago, and then with the B-side of Back on My Feet. What a great single. Great, great single. And is this his best or not one of his best 1980s songs, if not single, compilations? I think the single as an A-side, B-side together is way up there. Yeah. So the, this song and Beautiful Night were recorded and rejected for The Princess Bride. Really? A Beautiful, Beautiful Night. Night would have been... Both of those songs. That's not so sentimental. Too weird to be too sentimental, actually. Yeah, it's really bizarre. Okay, so a storybook love by Mark Knopfler is what actually replaced, or not replaced, but what was chosen instead of Once Upon a Long Ago. Yes, and it looks like Willie DeVille is also credited in some part for the song. So, I mean, this is not, I mean, this is- This isn't so important. This is trivia. Yeah. Basically, all you need to know is that Once Upon a Long Ago was meant to be, or could have been, but was rejected by Rob Reiner for that great movie, of Princess Bride. Picking up scales and broken cords, puppy dog tails in the house of lords. Tell me, darling, what can it mean? Making up moons in a minor key, what are those tunes got to do with me? Tell me, darling. Where have you been? Once upon a long ago, children searched for treasure. Nature's plan went hand in hand with pleasure. Such pleasure. So this is Paul's 40th single. It was released 16 November 87, and then again as a 12-inch on the 23rd November 87. This thing was a part of the All the Best compilation. Yes. Which, is it All the Best and All the Rest, or would it have been All the Best and Cold Cuts? Was this meant to be, was All the Best meant to be Hot Hits? And Cold Cuts was meant to be cold. So this is where all this stuff starts happening. And we have several different versions of Once Upon a Long Ago. They're not horribly, they are different links, but they're not actually terribly different. But it's, you just get different solos or different extended, you get an extended coda in one. And I want to say the one on All the Best was not the longest one. 
The long version is George Martin, and then the extended version is Peter Henderson. So yeah, there's not much difference between the songs. It's like instrumental stuff. Yeah. And it just shortens and extends the song. Here's the thing that I find crazy about the song is that this was intended, or so they say, as a duet between Paul and Freddie Mercury. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, when I read that, I couldn't wrap my head around what I have to say. Yeah, so they started socializing after that Live Aid performance that we mentioned earlier on the episode. And, you know, you know, Freddie got sick and he died before they could make this happen. Well, before we get to the chart stuff, there was a video for the song that was released as an, an extended 18-minute VHS called Once Upon a Video, right? Mm-hmm. And there's four music videos on this thing. Once Upon a Long Ago, Stranglehold that we mentioned. Yes. Pretty Little Head, and then a video for the animated video for We All Stand Together. And that was an edit out of the Rupert the Frog song movie. Yeah. A lot of stuff happening. A lot of stuff happening. You said 7-inch, 12-inch. There's a second version of the 12-inch. It looks like you have version 2, but version 1 has Midnight Special and Don't Get Around Much Anymore as the B-side to the double-A side of Once Upon a Long Ago and Back on My Feet. Yeah. Then, CD single. I mean, it's all basically the same songs in different configurations. So this thing hit number 10 in the UK, number 2 in Italy, uh, and top 30 in 15 different countries, and it sold... You know, over 500,000 copies. That sounds like a hit. That is, this is another hit for Paul. Not a number one hit, but a hit. And there's a big promotional campaign where he was actually out there on TV playing songs. He's like playing, listen to what the man said on his Rick with like a cropped, short, dad-like haircut. And it's cool, man. I think that leads us to the B side of this record, Back on My Feet, which is where Elvis Costello truly enters in. And this song, Rule. One of my favorite 80s Paul McCartney songs and yeah. records. So you have Tim Renwick on guitar, Nick Lenny Smith on keyboards, Charlie Morgan on drums, and Linda backing. Paul does everything else. But like you said, the lyrics, movie, camera, imagery throughout. Yeah. So this is Elvis and Paul, one of their fir- their very first session. And at this time, they were bringing songs they had almost done to get the guy, the other guy, to give a little help. So Elvis brought Veronica. Yes. And Paul brought Back on My Feet. We have Paul's demo for that. And the song sounds pretty well conceived in the demo. Yeah. Let's play a little bit of that. How many days will the wet weather last? I want to know, will the clouds, when they roll back, reveal a man in an old Mac? 
Sitting on a park bench Living on his own Cut to the rain as it runs down the glass Eventually through the lightning and thunder We see a man going under This is how it happened This is what he said He said I don't need love I was born on the street Give me your hand Till I'm back on my feet He said I don't need love I was born on the street I need a hand Till I'm back on my feet And then Elvis helped with words And it's a very wordy song, actually. So at the end, the chorus sort of repeats. And every, I don't know, eight bars, we get another blast of lyrics. And those blasts of lyrics at the end, it reminds me of Sondheim. Uh, Clearly, Elvis Costello did this. Just the amount of verbiage is pretty extreme. And it reminds me of Sondheim, where Sondheim, at the end of a song, when you're expecting it to just fizzle out, gives you a burst of words and creativity right. in the last 30 seconds and it yeah. reminds me of that so the lyrics you're talking about so the first one is um, we see a life through the eyes of a man as he lives and he dies by a simple tattoo that's the first one then Paul's I'll, I'll be back again all of that well there you go though we tried hard to know him it's there on his face he's a case where there's clearly no hope pretty dark portrait yeah, they're Elvis painting. is here now yeah <laughs> Give me your hand again till I land again, Paul's saying. And then his face starts to fade as we pull down the shade. And the picture we made is in glorious cinemascope. Gorgeous. And the way that goes with the glorious cinemascope. Yeah. Beautiful. Great. And this is at the end of the song during the vamp to fade part. Yeah. Definitely the Costello you know, influence. Even, but also Paul's lyrics in the verses are really, really, really good too. Good imagery. Good sonically as you go from word to word. Yeah, very nice. 
I remember hearing these around this because yeah, you're downloading these songs. I'm like, yeah. this music is good. And this is like, you know, late '90s, early 2000s. And people are like, oh, Paul McCartney is no good no more. And you're like, what? So a couple of quotes, Paul. When we came together, there were similarities between Elvis and John. He's very wordy. Normally, I encourage people to tell me if a song is rubbish. There was no problems with that with Elvis. He's going to tell you. He's got a very opinionated attitude. So yeah, right off the bat, and you, you know, you made mention of this before we recorded that Elvis is very diplomatic about this period. He sure is. You know, he's not saying, "Well, why didn't we make an album?" or because they were going to make an album together. Yeah. And it just... And he doesn't say, I hate the production. He says, Paul clearly heard them this way and he pursued them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Run Elvis Costello running for prime minister soon. <laughs> Not known to be a diplomatic guy either. No, but... no. I mean, this is a great song. Really, really good. We have a couple more things to kind of go through. And then just like a list of songs I wouldn't mind reading off of stuff that we can just address comes from this era. We don't yeah. necessarily have to go through everything. So Tropic Island Hum is also from this era, which wasn't released until September 2004 and was also a number 21 hit in the it UK. was a hit. Ridiculous. So yeah, so, you know, this is in that sunshine sometime we all stand together vein. And it's a cool has little a, record and it was has a Has an hit. interesting guest singer on it. Marion Montgomery. Yeah, she does a great job. And mm-hmm. Paul is doing his cartoon best. He's doing a bunch of voices here. Pretty cool. Very cool. He sings in a few different styles, gets some genuinely differentiated characters mm-hmm. out of it. He gave this tune to George Martin, and he orchestrated this thing. Good orchestration. Welcome to our island. Glad you came to call. Now you've made yourself at home. You're welcome to us all. We are simple people, why are we this way? This is what we always say. It's the way that we bang on the bongo. It's the way that we bang on the big bass drum. The way that we sing in the song of bass drop the island hum. Jolly nice in paradise. Lordy, ain't life grand. Everyone is happy, joining in the fun. Do it like we've always done. It's the way that we shake and the shake off. It's the way that we bang the big bass drum. The way that we bake and the cake off makes the drop big A little throwaway thing called Peacocks, which is really just sounds like Paul playing around with a drum machine. It's some harmony. Squid type stuff. So we'll play it here. Face that. Also starts figure of eight in this period and you know this is where trevor horn kind of c- 
comes in. We're going to talk about this at length in the next episode. I just wanted to mention that the version on Pepperland that is air quotes on Pepperland has a whole extra verse. There's like a minute or two minutes that's just chopped out of the middle. So that's interesting. If you want to hear a little bit of that, you can find that online somewhere. There's an unreleased song called Politics of Love that was recorded at the mill with Peter Gabriel. And it we don't have it. I haven't found it. And I'm not aware that it even exists on bootlegs. Apparently, Peter Gabriel performed it in December of the year after they recorded it. And oh. But I can't find a recording. If anybody knows about it, send it in, share it, pass it along. That would be a really fun artifact to check out. They could finish that. They're both still alive. Um, there's a song called Linda for Linda's 45th birthday. Paul recorded an old Jack Lawrence song from 1942, and he did it in a weekend. The B-side is just a salsa version of the same song. And um, I always used to joke, this is the rarest McCartney record, because they only pressed one copy. One copy. Just one. And we have no bootleg of that, right? You know, and we don't really need that song. That was between That's Paul fine. and Linda, but, you know, we're the asking. complete archive <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I just want to hear it once, man. Yeah. Um, and the only reason that we know about it is a guy named Pete Beechel, who was a trombone player. They were all sworn to secrecy, probably before NDAs or uh, who even knows. And uh, he told his mom about the session. He wasn't supposed to. And mom told a reporter and made the newspaper. There you go. <laughs> so there is a whole clutch of songs here. A whole list of songs that I'm just going to read through. First being Your School, which is from the summer of 84. One of the first things Paul recorded at the mill. This is from Luca Parasi's book, Our Hero, <laughs> Luca. Thanks, Luca. Yeah. I came into the studio one day and Paul sat at the piano. He played me this beautiful song with beautiful chords. He said, I've got this song, but I have a problem. I want to play it for you and ask you a question. It was called Your School. I noticed that when he got to a certain part of the song, it, he modulated in the middle section. He hit a new key. He said, now I don't know what to do because I want to go back to the original key and I can't because it sounds terrible. So I said, that's not a problem. On the last chord of the middle section, hold that last note for two more beats and then go back to the song. He said, that sounds great. How's it possible? I explained to him that by letting the chord hang there, the ear relaxes. Psychologically, the ear hears a new beginning. I'll stop there. So we have evidence from 1987 during the cold cut sessions that Paul had already begun to write Your School. Yeah. I had thought this was an off-the-ground era. Oh, did I? Yeah. We're gonna talk it out someday All that is nearest and dearest I want it, you want it, they want it too me I want to love you come on baby what have you got tell me that I learned a lot in your school your school never thought it meant so much just a poor fool in Felt the gentle touch until I met you. 
So I have a whole list of songs, and I don't even know how many of these I'm going to read through. But from about 84 until 89, all of these songs were recorded at the mill, notwithstanding the ones we've already spoken about or the ones that we're going to talk about on Flowers in the Dirt. So this is, a, so this is crazy. There's a tune called Kiss Me Now that in 2013 there was a string overdub session done. Nobody's heard it though. Maybe meant for the box set of something, but not touched. Never heard it. Um, spring 86, all rocked out. Don't know what that is. Then August 86 at Root Studios, Spanish Hop, Latin Walk, Rhythm Walk, Up and Atom Girl, and Fuzz Guitar. Whatever the hell that is. Then April 88, two songs. In Liverpool, which we have, and Indigo Moon. Uh, In Liverpool was recorded at the Liverpool Institute of Performing Arts, and it appears only on the 2005 DVD, the Liverpool Oratorio. He's like playing it in the facility. August 1988, whole batches of tunes. Mambo Me Baby, Grand Entrance, and So Long Blackie. We have all three of these. We can just play them in a row if you want to hear them. So these are some weird little tunes that could have been maybe intended for flowers. Who knows? From the same sessions, guitar fuzz riff, D backing track, a a track called Strange Sounds, then an earlier demo of Motor of Love, which we'll get into eventually, a tune called Current Affairs, Heraldic Fanfare, Comeback, Weird Drama Oscillator, and Riff-Ma-Tick. Like Hmm. arithmetic, but Riff-Ma-Tick. Then from the piano tape, you know that song, Sunshine in Your Hair? Tried to finish that one. Don't have it. A tune in 88, Give Me Your Love, and then another song called Grandpa's Song. And then in 89, Get a Hold of Yourself Tonight. A lot of these look like it's him testing equipment. Songs like Road Piece or Acoustic Guitar Instrumental. But he's got songs called Church Mice, Hot Soup Jammin' Fools, Rain on the Rising Sun, Gina, unclear nuclear strategy. (laughs) 
They're all unclear. Big Mac truck, cage door. Okay, so this little section, these are all just titles that were registered at MPL. So cage door could be cage. Cathedral door, who knows what that is. Um, world, that could be Ecology of the World, which was released in 81. Longest song title in the world was <laughs> He Didn't Mean It. Uh-huh. Also could have been Cage. When I was in Paris, a song called Ringo, a song called Luigi and Clara, and then a song called Louis Turpin, the chauffeur. <laughs> wow. So holy shit. He had a free weekend, clearly. He was just making songs. When I was in Paris, that could be Wild Prairie, the song. We We should maybe mention that at the beginning of this period, around 84, he was also working with Steve Miller, but that's for a future episode. That's, yeah. Yeah. Neither. I don't know if there's three more. I got three more. I know I'm almost killing you today. The White-Coated Man and Cow. Yeah. So these are sessions from 88 that Linda sings on that ended up on Wild Prairie. What do you think about these two tracks? Very strange. They're animal rights songs or at least animal welfare songs. There's a distinction. And (laughs) there is. And well, animal rights people think that animals should have the rights that people do. And animal welfare people think that animals should be very well taken care of. But that doesn't mean that they have to be treated like humans. Right. But yeah, so Linda had strong feelings about all these matters. They were, of course, famously vegetarian. She had the vegetarian cookbook. And these songs address this. And they are weird as hell. Yeah. Through the bars of morning light, what is this feeling? Why can't I move? Sometime today, they'll set me free. I'll hear a voice, and it will be my friend. The white. Why this pain? Well, I mean, so the white-coated man is Paul and Linda and then Robbie, Steve Johnson on synth strings, trumpet, uh, bass, keyboard. And so Carla Lane is on both of these tracks. He has a spoken verse. No relation to Denny Lane. Right. From what I understand. But yeah, these are, you can hear these on Wild Prairie. They're right. not unreleased. Yeah. Yeah. Th- these are available and I would say they're well worth checking out just to get a feel for the diversity of material, right. the eclecticism of time. Here's a song by Linda and Carla Lane about the plight of a cow. Creature, 
And the last tune, we've made it, man. New Moon Over Jamaica with, you know. Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash. Well, I mean, this is more of Paul loving Jamaica, right? You know? And the demos are fake reggae. And then he turns them into this strange country song. So I guess in the 80s, they were going to Jamaica all the time, yeah. Paul and Linda, and Johnny invited them over to his house for dinner. And while he was there, he wrote this song. That's it. Saw the moon, Johnny Cash's house. It became a country song. Yeah. Well, that's so May of 88, Johnny shows up in Paul's studio in England wanting to record the song. on It was the Water from the Wells of Home album. And... Tom T. Hall was a country singer, friend yes. of his, and you know they made some modifications, and that's it. Yeah. Paul sings, plays the bass. It feels a little like the Carl Perkins thing. It's yeah, it's a lot like the Carl Perkins thing, right? But it's fun to have around. Can't say it's a favorite, but it's neat that it exists. Paul and Johnny Cash, and it's it's Paul and Johnny Cash, and it's a song about Jamaica. It's very strange. <laughs> so. There's, you know, two more points I want to cover on this episode. The second to last is, okay, so let's talk track list. Ah. So we have official track list, sort of what we walked through, official, I'm doing right. the air quotes. Right. What's your track list? Or do you have any other alternate track lists you want to talk about? I think you might have my track list. I do, indeed. Let's say Paul McCartney and Phil Ramone actually made an album in 1987 and released it 
based on what we have, what could have been on that Bill Ramone album? So this isn't, you have a different approach, which is all this Pepperland material, right? Yes. So I tried to look at the Phil Ramone tracks and figure out if, I'm not saying it would be a good album. I'm just saying if they release this album, what are the viable, 10 viable 40 minutes worth of tracks? And this is what I came up with. So here's the A side, track one, Once Upon a Long Ago, two, Return to Pepperland, three, Love Come Tumbling Down, four, Back on My Feet, Five, loveliest thing. It's your A side. That's a good side. Great side. <laughs> B, one, love mix. Two, Atlantic Ocean. Three, P.S. Love Me Do. Four, this one. And five, beautiful night. Okay. It's not bad. It's a very strong A side. I know you disagree with the inclusion of Atlantic Ocean, but I didn't <laughs> include it because I like it. I included it it's because Phil it, it's Phil Ramone and it has words and seems complete right. for what it is. So I couldn't see putting peacocks or squid or something. So I took a 12-track approach because all of McCartney's albums, if you look, they're about, except for Wildlife, they're 12 records. So I'm going to take everything from 84 until 89 and not take anything that was released officially. Aha, different game. Yeah, so it's a slightly different game. And also, I also kind of edged it a bit where I'm including the best version, I think, of the song. So here's what I have for you. A-side, Once Upon a Long Ago, Then Back on My Feet, Love Come Tumbling Down, Playboy to a Man, Love Mix, and then you close the side out with a Vaughn. Right. Then the B-side is Return to Pepperland. So the top of the B-side is the title. I Love This House, Lindiana, 25 Fingers, Loveliest Thing, and then Tommy's Coming Home. And then if I had to have two B-sides or just tracks that you could, like, switch out, I think the, that the lovers that never were on Off the Ground is good. Mm-hmm. The best version is that demo yeah, from 87. But the best version of that demo... There this, are multiple versions yeah, of that demo. And yeah. this is where the nerd podcast stuff comes in, is the overdubs that Jeff Glenn did in 91 okay. on that demo. Uh-huh. And that thing is outstanding. Yeah, And actually, even a, a final level to this, I have a buddy out in L.A. who was working with Pete Thomas. Oh. And he said that he brought up this demo to him and they recorded Pete Thomas playing drums and then the bassist of the attractions playing bass. Bruce Thomas. And and they have this version. Wow. <laughs> and I haven't heard I it. I haven't heard that. And but there's they don't want to send it to Elvis because they know he'll just rush it out. Right. Was Elvis already having trouble with Bruce Thomas at that time? Was there rivalry? Or, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. Because this is like blood and chocolate era, and they're they're not starting to get along. But then, then the last tune is "Same Love." You can put "Same Love" as a B-side. So, okay. Well, yeah, as you'll see in the next episode, and this is me teeing up the next episode, right? So there are these songs that Paul and Elvis recorded that are amazing that they just disappeared. They did, like not just. It's not just that somebody recorded a subpar version, it's that nobody recorded it. Yeah.
That's just about it for the return to Pepperland era. The very last thing I want to say is thank you again to all the fans and yes. listeners and fans of Paul, not just of us. And you, you, We're all together in this. We're all just fans of Paul. I just want to take a moment and say about a year ago, we had maybe 10 downloads uh, every few months. Our friends were listening. Our friends were listening. <laughs> and now about 100 people a day. Or so we get about a hundred downloads a day of mm, this show. Mm. You know, each episode gets two thousand twenty five hundred. Right. So there are about two thousand of you guys out there that are listening, and we just want to say, yeah, thank you. And and I just want to say I too am very grateful, and I love reading your emails. And actually, Ryan shares the Facebook page with me from time to time as well. So check this out. Look what this guy yeah, said. And you guys yeah. are all so great, and you yeah. write such amazing things. And you know, if you love this show, if you love Paul, the whole purpose of this show is to show people that Paul's great. Yeah. And there's a lot of really good material, and he's a really good artist. And if you love him as much as we do, Share this show with everybody you know. Like, I've played this show for people that I've been embarrassed to play because I'm like, oh, well, I'm a Paul McCartney for lunch. <laughs> Take a listen. And they go, wow, this is cool. He's really cool. Yeah. This is cool. Yeah, that's uh, the comment I'm getting a lot is that people didn't know. They yeah. don't know. So I'm asking for your help. We are asking for your help. That's it for Return to Pepperland. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you next time with flowers in the dirt this was big fun yeah i had a lot of fun thanks chris we received nearly a thousand dollars off of all of your donations just from one episode So we are back at it, ready to give you season three, four, who knows, even beyond that. So we want to thank each and every donor that donated to our show in no particular order. Aaron Eichens, Abby Coventry Walsh, Alex Crabb, Andrew Schorsch. Tony Cox, Brian Dukowski, Joe Kafton, Kevin Drynan, Marnix Wesselink, Michael Britch, Michael Dillon, Paul Kilgore, Salim Hassan, and Stephen Jerkins. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Yeah. We, you know, we wouldn't be sitting here probably recording the we would not. of season three if we hadn't gotten some funding. So. Absolutely not. Yeah. So this one's for you. Yeah. Well, this one's for everybody. But. And <laughs> also you, yeah. <laughs> okay.
Our theme music is Martha, My Dear by John Lennon and Paul McCartney, realized by Ryan Brady.